welcome to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese, a program that can help you become liberated in the modern world. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin W. Reese. Have you ever hit rock bottom? Have you ever been addicted to something? And what was it that dragged you out of that? Welcome to episode number 56. Today I have the honor of speaking to Chris Grasso. He's a published author, public speaker, and mental health counselor. But before he became this spiritual teacher, he was an alcoholic, an addict, and he reached lows that Like he says in the podcast, he doesn't wish on anybody. Also an atheist, one day he was introduced to the Eastern traditions, the wisdom traditions. This changed everything. He was introduced to a book that changed his life. And eventually he came face to face with the great Ram Das. He was moved to tears, and things just progressed from there. I can't wait for you to hear his story. It's an inspiration. Chris, welcome to the Peace Podcast. Hello. I am really honored to be here, Kevin. Thank you. Going back, you you were you were an addict many years ago, correct? Yeah, yeah. So, how did you? First of all, what were you addicted to? Boy, what wasn't I addicted to? You know, um, to be honest, uh, people ask me, you know, like, how long have you been clean? And I used to count clean time. And I understand the importance of that when it comes to drugs and alcohol. And, you know, you make these milestones, especially if you're early to recovery. I think that's great. But for me, I went through many years of being clean for a few years and then relapsing and, you know, jails and uh, emergency rooms and terrible experiences. And what I've recognized is uh, one, I'm not, it wasn't just the drugs or the alcohol. Those are just symptoms. You know, it's an obsessive compulsive disorder that I'm dealing with. So even though I haven't touched drugs or alcohol in a a while now, but I will still catch myself acting out with like food, for example, I'll go into the kitchen. If I'm not hungry, I'm still doing the same thing. I'm just replacing it's the, it's the substance, you know? So, um, but anyways, yeah. So my main thing though, like the most detrimental was alcohol first and foremost and then really what else do you have i didn't care so that's very powerful what you just said a lot of people don't quite get that that it's an obsession and it can move from one thing to the other Mm. and i see so many people do this with diets yeah you know being you know being in the nutrition world for a long time, I'd see somebody do like excessive, you know, paleo or Atkins, yeah. right? And then yeah. boom, all the way to the other side, all fruit. Then right. boom, all the way to breatharianism. Then boom, all the way to st- nothing but steak. And then boom, all the way to nothing but apples. It's like yeah. they're just banging from from this side to that side to this right. side. And then I talk to them, I get their story and go figure in their past, they might've been an alcoholic, 
or they might have been addicted to opioids, sure. you know, pain reliever, you know. This is an obsessive compulsive thing and you just, that's powerful what you just said. Thanks. The other side of it, this is something I've written about in one of my books, but um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Thomas Keating. Uh, he was a Christian mystic, passed away not that long ago. Beautiful man. I had interviewed him about 10 years ago. And when I was talking with him, I don't remember how it came up, but I mentioned, you know, that I'm in recovery and he, he chuckled a little bit, not like in a malicious way, just a harmful laugh. And I was like, why is Thomas Keating laughing at me? You know, I, I was all like, oh no. But he said in a very playful way, he's like, well, I'm in recovery too. And before he, he started there, I'm like, whoa, I didn't know Father Keating had a habit. You know, like that's crazy. But no, he goes on to say, uh, I'm in recovery from the human condition and the varying degrees to which we all suffer. Mm. And that was really powerful for me because similar to what I was sharing about addiction, same with recovery. You know, we all have our addictions. We're all in recovery for, from something. And, you know, it's nice to see that some of the stigma is starting to lessen around addiction. I mean, there's plenty of work to do, but I think if people recognize that, if they were open-minded, maybe they'd have a little more compassion or sensitivity and recognize it's not a moral failing. It's not a weak will. It's, it's really a disorder. You know, and we all suffer from it to a certain extent in our own way. So it's not like someone who's not addicted to alcohol or drugs is any better than someone who is. It's like, okay, well, what are you addicted to? You know, That's we've right. all got something. So and for some people, it's ambition. It's, it's their, sure. their business. Yeah. Rest in peace, Kobe Bryant. But yeah. I once heard in an interview, they were asking him about his new media empire that he was creating. And they were like, well, what's, what's your trick to hiring people? And he goes, oh, I just find obsessive people. <laughs> <laughs> so makes sense. And, and that's Kobe, you know, he and crushed he, it. He was obsessed with basketball yeah. completely. Yeah. And Even spirituality, not not to cut you, but like yes. I, I I will be the first to throw myself under the bus and say that I've used meditation as a form of aversion. You know, I've done mantras because I didn't want to be in my body and feel what I was feeling. You know, like I, it was complete as Trungpa Rinpoche talked about spiritual materialism. You know, mm -hmm. the it was you know my heart was in the right place, but the intention wasn't, and that's you know something I had to learn, and I'm grateful that I did. And it's kind of a rite of passage, I think, for most people that end up on a path. So, you know, it is what it is. But people don't think about that. Like yoga, things that can be truly great for us and are can also just be another way of dropping out and not being with our experience in the moment. So yeah. we've got to be really careful about that. I have to be really careful with that at least. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a, I guess, a recovering food addict, if you will. It never goes sure. away. Yeah. It never, It never goes away, really. Yeah. And so you have to stay away from the trigger, the triggers, yeah. you know, can't open up a, a bag of chips, I know. you know, can't have it in the apartment. That's for me. Like, yeah, because you know, one, one trigger will lead to a whole week long yeah. <laughs> binge. I, I will again, throw myself under the bus. I'm very transparent, Kevin. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as you know, and we were talking earlier, I've had to reschedule this a couple of times because I've been dealing with a s severe stenosis and a herniated disc over the last year. And mm. 
um, you know, prior to that, I was running like eight to 12 miles a day, five, Mm -hmm. six days a week, not obsessively, but you know, I, that for me is part of my recovery and, uh, weight training and things, you know, I'm, I enjoy that. It's cathartic for me. Actually, two of my three books were predominantly written while I was out running, you know, after I hit the five mile mark, it just, it comes to me, but I ended up getting this herniated disc and I have not been able to run for a year. And I've even eating as well as I can, I don't have a good metabolism. And I've put on easily like 40 pounds over this and it's, it's tough, you know, like I have to balance right now the fact that I'm doing everything I can. I just mm-hmm. bought a, a road bike for my birthday. And so I've been getting out and doing some cycling and easing back into that. And hopefully that'll help, you know, with the, the healing, but um, it's tricky. You know, I'm just mentioning because the food thing I've, yeah. when I was a kid, that was my first addiction, food. And I didn't have the context to recognize it, but the warning signs were there for what was to come. So that's right. Yeah. And uh, I know that feeling. Uh, it recently happened to me last year. Uh, I was sitting on the floor on a meditation cushion and I was reading. And then all of a sudden, the whole right side of my back tensed up and it came around my shoulder and, and to my chest and it popped like pop. And from that point on, I had an injured sternum. <laughs> the doctors didn't know what was wrong, you know? The only thing close to it would be a costochondritis, you know, diagnosis. And uh, I was on my way to a Zen monastery and I, you know, I made a decision not to go because of this injury. And, you know, I stopped working out because of it. And just like you, I put on 40 pounds, dude, (laughs) just like that. And that's after I lost my big, you know, I lost 80 pounds back in the day. Yeah, same. Yep. So when you see yourself getting bigger after the, you know, the big release you already have, you know, it's like a uh-oh, uh-oh type of thing. Like, uh-oh, yeah. here we go again. Wait a second. Yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I, I, I feel you, man. But you'll be, yeah. you'll be fine. You know exactly what to do. Finding the balance of like, not becoming the victim, you know, the, as Caroline Miss called it, the uh, woundology, you know, like this is who I am. No, it's an experience I'm having. And yeah, it's not pleasant, but uh, I don't have to, you know, feed completely into that. And yes, with the right mindset and taking an integral approach to what I'm doing, I trust that it will work itself out. It's just, it's been a year and it's like, it's been a tough year, but you know, talk about grace. Um, I have a friend in New York who's a wonderful publicist and um, she connected me with one of her authors. You might know him. I don't know. His name's uh, Dr. David Hanscom. He's a, uh, he was a spinal surgeon and he has two great books out and he completely flips the script on how people work with and heal through chronic pain. And so I had a really nice talk with him yesterday. I'm reading his books now and, and just out of the kindness of his heart, you know, cause we had a mutual friend. So he is going to work with me over the next month and hopefully get me like really, really into this healing thing. So yeah, man, it's uh, good things happen. If you're doing the right thing, I found that sometimes not as soon as we'd like, but right it works out. Right on. What was the aha moment that you had back in the day to kick the drugs, the alcohol and all that? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. I did you, um, did you hit rock bottom, as they say. Man, call it? 
Sure. And then the bottom gave out, you know, like mm. I've, I've gone to depths that, you know, I wouldn't wish on anyone. There's a, a quote that's dear to me from um, Hunter S. Thompson, you know, the very crazy writer who I love. And he's, I don't remember verbatim, but it's talking about the edge. And he's like, the only people that will ever fully understand it are those who have been there. And it's really when I think about the places I've been and, and, and just the traumatic experiences that I brought on myself, you know, yes, I have a, 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 a you know, I don't know that people call it a disease. People call it an illness. I, it's, it's semantics to me. I live with something that, you know, I can't control, whatever you care to call it. And uh, so, yes, that's part of it. But I also play a part in that too. And it just, you know, the places I've had a hand in allowing myself to go in my life is um, not easy for me to sit with, though, you know, I've done a lot of trauma-based therapy and, and taken the right steps to work through that and continue to work through it. But getting back to your question, I don't know that there was one aha moment you know i've had those for sure but i didn't like get sober and then stay sober you know as i was saying before it was i I got sober and i had 14 months clean at first and then i was literally in rome on my birthday and hey when in rome right like oh my god it's been 14 months i'm i can do this and no i couldn't you know it's it just turned right back into full-blown you know and i ended up in a I don't know, another emergency room when I got back to the States or a a jail cell or a detox. I don't know. But what I do know is each time, you know, I would go through that process of which was awful going and waking up in whatever, not remember I got there and then ending up back in a rehab. um, I, I was dedicated to getting well. Like there's always been something inside of me that wouldn't let me give up. And, um, so there was a lot of seeds being planted. There was, um, I had a college professor who, uh, during part of this, uh, one of my periods of sobriety, I went to school for substance abuse counseling. And she's the one who actually introduced me to spirituality. You know, I, I re- I'll never forget that I went into her room because she was also my, um, what are they called? Uh, I don't know, whenever you're choosing your classes, it's been a long time since I've been in school. Um, but I was in her office and she was helping me choose my classes for the next semester. And I remember looking up at her wall and I saw like a Ganesh and a Mary and a Krishna and, you know, and a Buddha. And I kind of look up there and I, I was quite atheist in my ways up to this point. I did right. not like the idea of God hated it. And um, so I, I point, I go, what's going on up there? And she's like, well, what do you mean? And I said, I, don't you pick one and go? And she just kind of laughed, you know, and she's like, no, you know, she's like, you can, but you don't have to. And right. so anyways, you know, she was my catalyst and, um, and I'm forever grateful to her, you know, cause she, she said to me, uh, later on after that, I was going through a breakup with a girlfriend and, and she'd become very motherly to me. I, you know, I, she's still like a, a friend. I haven't talked to her in a while, but she's, you know, we've stayed in touch and she, um, we were sitting on a bench at, at the college and she said, if I bring a book for you, we had a class in two days together, would you read it? And I hated reading at the time too. Boy, how times change. Like that's my favorite thing to do now. Yeah. But you know, I begrudgingly said, okay. And this is like, I don't know, back in 2005, give or take, maybe, uh, maybe before that. And she comes in and gives me the power of now by Eckhart Tolle. Mm-hmm. And this is pre Oprah. This is, you know, he wasn't like a household name yet. And, right. and I mentioned that because I was so punk rock and against anything. I, I wouldn't have read it, honestly, if, if I, he was just who he was now. But I will tell you that I took that book home that night and 
I read the introduction sitting on the couch in my apartment. And by the time I finished that, I knew my life would never be the same again. It's a great catalyst book. Yeah. Great beginner's book. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's Zen. He's talking about Zen essentially. Absolutely. Right. And that's what I appreciated being so like just anti anything. Like I didn't even know the difference between religion and spirituality. I thought they were the same and it's just a crutch and whatever. But you know, my, my professor helped me learn the difference. And then what resonated with uh, Tolley's approach is that he was referencing different wisdom traditions. You know, it wasn't just about Christ and he's talking about a course in miracles and Buddha and Rumi and, you know, all these different wisdom teachers. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, further um, confirming what my professor was telling me about, like, you don't have to just pick one, like you can, but you don't have to. And, and that made it more open to me. It wasn't like a concrete, rigid thing. And because that's something I've never resonated with. And so yeah, that's how things started. It sounds like you just like me and many others were anti-religion and probably caught up in the Western traditions, which are obviously Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Right, yeah. And not realizing that there's a Hinduism, there's a Buddhism. Like we heard of it, but never really looked into it and never really understood, you know, that you're not your body. Yes. And that was it. Totally. It was the thoughts actually first for me. You're not your thoughts. And I was like, well, wait a minute. I'm not my thoughts. Who who am I? And then, you know, yes, you're not your body. And it just progressed and went deeper and deeper. But so that's what I meant when I said, like, I knew my life would never be the same. Because when I read that, it was like I read, it was like I was remembering something that I've known all along, but just had set aside and forgotten, you know, and it was, it, it was incredible. Yeah, similar with me, man. I ended up at an ashram and yeah. ended up rooming with a mystic. And Oh, how cool is that? Know, my life was forever changed, you know? Yeah. Um, once you run into somebody, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but once you run into somebody who, we'll use the word, has elevated, who sure. has dissolved their ego and they're just, it, it's a different vibe. <laughs> oh, that's, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I know we talked about maybe talking about Ram Dass and, and that's the first experience I had of that was, um, you know, I'd had like non-dual experiences and, you know, meditation, you know, brought me to transcendental states. And of course, I had terrible experiences too, you know, like I thought, oh, I'm going to meditate. Everything's going to be love and light and beautiful. And sure, those experiences happened, but my goodness, like the ugliness that I had just been suppressing it opened the floodgates and I'm in retrospect, I'm grateful, but I, I warn people when I teach now, like, you know, I'm not trying to turn them away, but just be aware that it's, it's not like the mindfulness that is presented a lot of the time. It's, it gets muddy. And if it's not getting muddy, then you might want to reevaluate, you know, what you're reading, what you're doing. I, I compare it to detox. Beautiful. I've never heard that before, but wow, that's poignant. It's it's detox. I mean, my you know my PhD and my background is in detoxing people um, yep. to overcome chronic illnesses and whatnot. And so I've seen some things: rashes, parasites, you know. Oh yeah. And then when I got into the spiritual side of things, 
I was like, wow, the mind really detoxes. It just, all this stuff comes out, you know? And, and for those listening that don't understand, you know, Jesus, the Christ, went through this, right, when he was in the desert, and he had to come face to face with the devil. And also Gautama the Buddha went through this when he was underneath the Bodhi tree, and he was faced with Mara, which you could consider the Eastern version of the devil. <laughs> Just imagine what the Zen monks go through when they're sitting there <laughs> staring at a wall for hours and hours and hours. Yes. I, I can't, you know, I've read the stories of people that have done that. And, you know, yeah. for me, I've never even done like a 10 day retreat, to be honest, like the Vipassana ones. Yeah. It's like, I have so much respect for people that do that, but I've never felt called to do it. And, and sure, maybe part of it's because I am scared to do it. I don't know, but I just, uh, I don't, I have so much respect. That's all I can say. But man, I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you get introduced to Eastern traditions by this counselor, this professor. Yeah. And you read The Power of Now. Yep. And you're off. So luckily you, for me, you said you're obsessive. So I'm imagining yes. you went down the rabbit hole. Here's well, <laughs> if, if anybody can see obsessive, like I'm literally head to toe tattooed, like talk about addictions. Like, yeah, yeah. anyways. So with spirituality though, I was lucky in the sense that I had a wonderful library that was like two blocks from where I was living at the time. So I would skateboard over there pretty much every day. And they had an incredible spirituality section. Also, which I would later get interested in, in things like physics and neuroscience and whatnot. Um, so they had a great section there too. But I'm starting with, I go in and I'm just, you know, walking around. I don't know what I'm looking for. I just want to find Eastern traditions. And I come across Be Here Now. And mm-hmm. aside, I mean, before I go deeper into that, you know, I take that out and that changes my life, you know, obviously. But um and I mean, obviously, for anyone who's read my work. Um, but aside from that, it was anything that I could get my hands on was, for the most part, resonating in one way or another. What didn't matter the tradition. There was so many, as long as it's more of like the mystic elements, I was finding so much truth that made sense and resonated with me, whether it was people like Thich Nhat Hanh, which is a really wonderful, user-friendly Zen teacher, or yeah. the heavier stuff like Ramakrishna or you know of course autobiography of a yogi was a, a great read but then going Yoginaga, deeper yeah 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 it was it just all resonated in in one way or another. not all of it resonated but all of it had something that resonated in one way mm-hmm. or another whether it was mystic christianity it did you know kabbalah um but yeah so i'm just literally taking like stacks of books out at a time and yes very obsessively reading, reading, reading. And I was very much in the doing phase at that point, which I now, many, many years later, it's, it's more about being, not doing, a little of both, but I was just, I couldn't get enough of it, you know? And, uh, and I also took out and, and I would love to talk about this too, the Ken Wilber's, uh, cosmic consciousness. It was a 12 CD set where he has a conversation with, uh, Tammy Simon, who is the founder of Sounds True, who published my second book. And, um, there's a, a fun little story we can get into about that later, but that was a big one for me too. So I would say that audio program and be here now. Um, and, and I consider, you know, Ram Dass and Ken Wilbert easily my two root teachers for sure. Like they're, yeah, they're wonderful. Okay. 
So if you're reading Be Here Now, then you're being introduced to the guru-disciple relationship. Yes. Very powerful stuff. Yeah. It's easy to relate that back to the whole Jesus culture. Mm-hmm. And kind of see where that power comes from, from people who are saved by Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there's not too many hardcore Christians listening to this podcast, so I, can, I think I can, <laughs> I can say that they're experiencing guru-disciple relationship, the power of that. Sure. And, but you can, you can experience that with Jalaluddin Rumi or Yogananda yeah. or Ram Das or Osho or whoever. And right. so now you come across Ram Das. Ram Das was big in my journey as well. Mm. Love the guy. Never met him. Very sad to hear he left his body a few months ago. Yeah, that was tough. But man, I identified with that guy quite a bit, yeah. especially having a PhD and sort of not, you know, going that route, so to speak. Yeah. Walked away from his career, basically. Yeah. It, it, he resonated immediately. Like, to me, I grew up loving punk rock and hardcore and hip hop, like outsider culture. And that's, you know, what attracted me so much to be here now. Ram Das is punk rock, like totally <laughs> punk rock. Like, he, like, you know, he had that Harvard degree. He had everything. Yeah. And he knew there was more in a way that was less. And, you know, that was so powerful to me, like the, the non-attachment thing, the, you know, following your own truth. Hmm. So how did you meet Ram Das? How did that happen? A friend of mine named Jessica was doing, uh, hosted a website called Where's My Guru? And I had been doing my own website called The Indie Spiritualist. I started in like 2010, which was just a ground for interviewing people of all different cultures and things I enjoyed. Prior to that, I'd written zines. I loved talking to people and interviewing them. So I forgot exactly how Jessica and I connected, but she asked me if I would do some guest interviews for her show. And I was like, yeah, I, you know, I dug what she was doing. We resonated. And it was around the time Polishing the Mirror was coming out. And mm-hmm. so on a whim, you know, I, I send an email off to the Love Server member, Love Server member Foundation. I don't know who I'm sending it to. And I just say, hey, you know, introduce myself. I'm doing this uh, this guest series on the show. I know Polishing the Mirror is coming out. Would Ram Das be available for an interview? And I don't know, it's like two or three days later, I get a response. I honestly didn't expect to hear back because at this time, I'm still semi-new in the journey. Mm-hmm. And these dudes are like rock stars to me, like the mm-hmm. equivalent of like, you know, next level, like, you know, Krishna Das is like the same as like Guns and Roses. You know, they're like right. larger than life. Right. But sure enough, I get an uh, email back from a gentleman named Raghu Marcus, who is the head of the Love Serve Remember Foundation, um, a, a dear man. And he said, uh, yeah, Chris Ramdas is available on this day at this time, if you can do that via Skype. And I was, I remember like when I just read that, I was like, it's happening. It's happening. Floored. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier when you're in the presence of someone, you know, elevated, to use the word, um, where you, it's palpable. You feel it. You can't not feel it. Mm-hmm. Well, so I, I get on this call, Skype call, just like, you know, we're doing, we're on Zoom, but it was on Skype. And uh, 
with Ramdas. And so that was my first time meeting him. It wasn't in person. But immediately I felt I felt elevated. I felt high in a way. I also felt very emotional like mm. um and it wasn't a starstruck emotional thing it was i don't I, it's hard to put into words you know i i was just taking in what he was putting out basically what it comes down to and my body my physiology wasn't like ready for that you know mm. it's it's like the kundalini awakening for some people that don't know what that is and, and haven't properly prepared like mm-hmm. it can be weird and but it was it wasn't weird it was beautiful and I remember at one point during the conversation, like I just, I started tearing up and we weren't talking about anything sad. It was like overjoyed. Mm. And I stopped and I said to him like, you know, Ramdas, like, why am I crying? Why am I tearing up? You know, do you, do you know? And he's like, you know, he's like, I forgot again verbatim, but you know, you're just seeing your true self reflected back right now. You know, isn't it beautiful? And <laughs> it was yeah. beautiful, man. Wow. Was, there it is. I have a great, please interject, but before I, before we move on from that, there's a great story at the end of that, but please, uh, if you have something to say. No, that, that's uh, the mirror, man, you know? That, yes. That's it. We all have that potential. Yeah. And that's what he was saying to you. Yes. Literally, like, and polishing the mirror, you know, how, how fitting that mm-hmm. was. Um, mm-hmm. So what was going on, though, at this time? Um, also, I was just finished writing my first book, uh, Indie Spiritualist. It wasn't out yet. Um, Simon & Schuster was doing it. That in and of itself is an insane thing. But I remember wanting to ask Ram Dass if he would take a look at it and write an endorsement. But I knew his health wasn't well. It it wasn't nearly as bad as it had gotten. But, you know, he'd had his stroke. And um, I talked to Mirabai Starr who's in the satsang and you know, lifelong friend of, of Ram Dass. And she's like, um, you should ask him if, if you feel moved to. She's like, um, I know that some people have asked him recently and he just, he's had to say no as much as he wants to. He, he can't right now physically. And so I decided I'm not going to ask him. You know, I didn't, Mirabai didn't mention it to him. Like, you know, it just, I left it alone. And so at the end of the conversation, you know, I stopped recording and we were still talking, just kind of, um, you know, I, I don't remember exactly what we were talking about, but he stops and he says to me, he goes, uh, so you have a book coming out. N- nobody except Mirabai knew this. And I know Mirabai did not tell me, you know, I, I'd asked her after the fact, she's like, no. Um, and he goes, um, because during the interview, I'm thinking like, maybe you should ask him. And then I'm like, no, no, like respect him and, and his, his uh, physical situation. So he goes, um, well, if you'd like to send it over, um, I'd be happy to write a blurb for it. And then though, he goes, going to the guru disciple relationship, he goes, and that comes from meaning Maharaji. Yeah. And it was similar to that experience he talks about in Be Here Now where he was out in the night sky thinking about his mother and the spleen and Maharaji told him like he knew that somehow. Right. And that was a story that really like shook me. I was like, Whoa. Cause when I read that, you know, it's one of the first spiritual books. I'm like, I don't want anybody knowing what I'm thinking, you know? And, but it was just so beautiful the way that that was a profound or that story had a profound effect on me. And then in a way, a very similar thing happened, you know, through, Maharaji's grace. It was yeah, yeah. 
I can't, I will never deny like that yeah. that stuff is possible after that and more oh, stuff yeah. happened, but that was oh, yeah. the first. And, and for the listeners, Maharaji is uh, Baba Neem Karoli, who was Ram Dass's, became Ram Dass's master. Yes. Yeah. Guru. So. And Ram Dass would always say right up to the end, he's just the hook on the fishing line that Maharaji's holding. You know, he took no yeah. credit, completely, mm-hmm. you know, no credit. Yeah. And and that's that's the power of that guru disciple relationship. I heard Ram Das say, you know, in his last years that when no, I read it in his book. I just glanced over at my little library here, walking each other home. And he said in that book that, you know, he plans to die with Maharaji's photo. That's all he wants. Yeah. He's like, That's all I need. That just his photo in his bed. That's all I need. So yeah. I, I hope he got what he wanted. I'm sure he did, you know, because I remember when he talked in Fierce Grace, a wonderful documentary about him. And mm-hmm. uh, it, they were talking about what happened during the stroke. You know, was it this beautiful, euphoric experience? Not the stroke itself, but where did you go? And he's like, there was nothing, absolutely nothing. And so, you know, he was saying how that was, in a way, that was an act of grace from Maharaji showing him, you know, there's still work to be done. You're not done yet. You know, like yeah. there's still things that need cleaning up and, yeah. um, you know, how beautiful. And that's part of what's deeply inspired me in the way I write and when I teach is just full transparency, you know, honest. And, and you know, I, I don't want to sound negative. A lot of spirituality has become very, you know, commercialized and, and you know, just let's put it out and, and dumb it down and okay if it helps people fine but at the end of the day is it really helping you know or is it just like a band-aid I, Jeff Brown a wonderful writer um, I remember he was telling he calls it the new cage movement and one of his friends um, got into the lighter stuff and she had honest mental health issues and instead of like following her doctor's advice and, and seeing a therapist and taking the proper medications that she needed she's like no these teachers are going to heal me that they promise they're going to these books promise it and she ended up committing suicide you know so there are dangers i know that's an extreme example but um it's you know we just have to be careful but that's again what i love about ron das is there was no like i'm not perfect you know he's like i'm a work in progress and same here you know till the day i die i'm a hot mess you know and i'll be the first one to tell you yeah ron das he that one of the things that attracted me to him was he was so transparent. Yes. He really yeah. was. He made fun of himself. Yeah. You know, he, he made fun of the fact that he was you know, bisexual or gay or however you yeah. want to, you know, whatever label you want to use. Sure. And he, you know, he made fun of his Jewish heritage. He made fun yes. of, you know, psychedelics. I mean, everything. And he was just... Yeah. Like the fun uncle that you just want to be around, you know? He absolutely was. I got to tell you, the first time I met him in person, it's a it's a pretty funny story. Um, it was at a retreat about five years ago in Hawaii. And it was after a session and he was on stage and uh, Mirabai Bush, uh, who's, you know, teaches at all of those and co-wrote Walking Each Other Home with him. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, Compassion in Action, another great book. Um she saw me and, and, you know, we're close. And I had been, uh, I'd already been doing my podcast on the Be Here Now Network at that point. And um, so, you know, all the teachers were familiar with me and Mirabai was on stage next to him and called me up because she knew I hadn't met him in person yet. And 
I don't get starstruck. Like I've interviewed tons of famous people from all walks of life and they're just people, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, but th- I don't know, this was something else. So I'm, I'm like, I feel like not only that, but again, that energy that he just, he's putting out. So I walk over and I don't say anything like at first. He, I think he can tell as I'm walking over, like, you know, he probably just sensed it. So I walk over and, and I, I look at him and I'm like, hi, Ram Das. You know, I thought about this moment forever. And, and he goes like this to me, he's in his wheelchair. And so I lean down and he grabs my goatee and he smiles. He goes, it's so little because anyone who knows Ram Das has this big beard. So Ram Das essentially busts my chops over, you know, my little goatee, but that was his way of just bringing me down, you know, and because immediately he said that I laughed and it was like a wave came over me of just calm. And I'm like, all right, I'm just here with this incredible, beautiful human, you know, yeah. and, and we only talk for a few minutes and, uh, yeah, but that was the first time and it, what a beautiful experience, you know, like this man that's looked at as this like, and he is like an iconic spiritual teacher, just that's how he, he met me, just making fun of me in a lighthearted way. It was beautiful, you know, couldn't have, couldn't have been more perfect for me. So, Very cool. And so yeah. how did, uh, did you have more experiences with him after that? Yeah, I, um, so that was just being there was the only time I was physically in his presence. We've done a number of Skype interviews and conversations and, you know, I've had him on my podcast and, um, of course, on the Be Here Now Network. Um, but, you know, so most of it was through Skype. Um, something that was really meaningful for me was, uh, you know, so he endorses my first book. And then you mentioned Walking Each Other Home, which uh, was the last book he put out before he transitioned. And mm-hmm. um, he asked me to endorse that, which was a really beautiful, I, I think it was another Maharaji thing, you know, like a very full circle thing. You know, like he endorses my first book, I endorse his last. Like, who am I to, to write about, you know, why people should read Ramdas and Mirabai? Like, you know, I'm I'm still just... I just turned 42, man. I'm this punk rock, like weirdo that, you know, by a strange set of circumstances has some books published, but you know, I'm, I'm no different than anyone. I just have had some fortunate life circumstances. So that was really humbling for me, you know, and, and of course very meaningful, but you know, there's, I, when the book came out, they sent it and it's like Helen Hunt and um, Joan Baez and you know all these incredibly famous people like Pete Holmes and of course Duncan Trussell and uh, and then Chris Grasso I'm like that does not make sense I mean I've been asked to endorse a lot of books before that but not by Ram Dass so it was just right. so weird man well how did you end up on the the Be Here Now network and how did you end up with the Simon and Schuster deal uh, so yeah two different stories um, the the Simon and Schuster thing happened before be here now so i'll start with that quickly um so ramdas and i clicked you know on that that interview and we just really resonated and um so we it's not like we were talking a lot but like we stayed in touch to a certain extent uh indie spiritualist comes out so the way that happens long story try to make it short as i mentioned i started the indie spirituals website and it was more focused on interviews in the beginning. After that, I started writing more about my own experience for various websites like Elephant Journal, Mind Body Green, places that would accept unsolicited material. I wasn't doing so in a way that I wanted to get noticed or recognized. I was at a place in my life where it was after the last rehab I went through, like 
rock bottom of rock bottoms. Like I had nothing. I was unemployed for the first time in my life. Car was repossessed. Like, but I had a, a, an honest to God, like complete surrender. And mm-hmm. I was like, whatever you, whomever you is to your listeners, that which is greater than me, whatever you want me to do, I, you know, I'm still alive. I don't know how, but I'm here. I'll do, just guide me. So start writing more. I ended up getting an email from uh, a wonderful New York Times bestselling author and connecting with this woman, Lissa Rankin. Um, uh, she's a physician, um, a Hay House author, just a, a really authentic, like raw person and brilliant mind. And we really connected. Um, and it's odd because I end up con- making these deep connections with people that, you know, if we were sitting down having coffee and someone walked by, they'd probably look at us like, you know, it's weird. I look like a weirdo, man. Like I'm covered in tattoos and big plugs. And, you know, these are more traditionally, quote unquote, normal looking folks. So Lissa, we just bond and and she, she had read a bunch of my stuff and she's like, you know, you have something to say there. You have a book to write. Dude, I didn't even finish my associate's degree. Like that substance abuse counseling program, I was halfway through my internship and something was com- so compelling to me that it's like, this is not what you're supposed to be doing. I always wanted to work with people, but I just knew this wasn't it. And the professor who I mentioned earlier, when I told her, I'm like, this doesn't feel right. She said, normally I would try to talk a student into staying. You're so close to finishing. But she's like, I know you and I know that your heart's telling you something different. So you have my blessing. Just you know, do what you got to do. So Lissa introduces me to her literary agent which blows my mind. I made the mistake of looking who this agent represents, which are way bigger authors than I am. You know, a, a slew of New York Times bestsellers that are the polar opposite of me, still in the well-being, mindfulness genre, but not like this raw, punky dude like I am. But again, this woman reads my stuff. Her name's Michelle, and, and she's like another mother figure to me. And she's like, I love this. I, I think you have a great book inside of you and I would like to sign you and represent you. I mean, I have, to this day, I still have a problem calling myself a writer because I've never taken a class on writing. I've never read a book about how to write. I just sit down and write raw. That's my, I, I think my gift is that I've been to so many low places in life. I'm not scared to put it out there, honestly, because there's nothing you can say that's going to affect me any worse than what I've already been through. Aside from that, though, it's always with the intention of, I want to help other people. Like if my experiences can help and the things I've learned that have literally saved my life, that's my passion. So this woman signs me. We put a book proposal together. I'm like, wow, I'm going to be an author. This is beyond my wildest dreams. Um, she sends it out to about 40 publishers. And after the course of maybe a week and a half or so, we get 40 rejections. Okay, I'm not going to be an author. That was fun while it lasted. Um. <laughs> but no, so she's like, let's look at the feedback from the uh, editors that you know looked at acquisitions editors and, and let's restructure this proposal. We did. It took about three months, sent it back out. And now we had a number of publishers that really wanted the book. And I ended up going with the one I felt best about. And um, so Indie Spirituals came out. And then, you know, from there, I got invitations to start speaking at festivals like Wanderlust or conferences and, you know, all these places that I I couldn't even afford to go to if I wasn't being a presenter, you know, like it was so weird to me. Right. But so that's Indie Spiritualist. Um, If you... 
don't know. I've been talking for a minute. I'll tell you about the. Uh, Did you manifest network, but, this? I, you know. I have to say, I guess in a way I did like one unintentionally, unintentionally, but also I'll tell you what, like I watched the secret and I've read like, um, Dr. Joe Dispenza's books. I presented at a lot of conferences with him and I, I appreciate more of the scientific like approach of, you know, we do attract things and, and yeah, like, it's not like I just sit down and I want a Ferrari and it's going to be out there. Like there's a lot more to it, but I can say after applying those principles in a way that, you know, for more of a, I was going to say scientific, that's not the correct word, but I don't, not, let me say this, not so much of a woo-woo way and no mm-hmm. offense to anyone, just that doesn't resonate for me. Right. Yeah. Stuff worked. Like I would sit down and honestly, I would imagine like the book going to the publisher and I would just send like from my heart, like a, a, a beam of light, you know, like love and imagining it going to New York or Los Angeles or wherever the headquarters was. And I would imagine it like being received by the person that was getting the book. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, if this, if I heard myself saying this like 25 years ago, I'd beat myself up, you know, <laughs> I was not this guy, but right. yeah. So yeah, right. I, I, in a way I did. It, I think, I think though it was the surrender more than anything, the willingness to just do whatever I could for the greater good of others. And I didn't know what that would look like. Like I said, I didn't intend to write a book, let alone three, you know, it's, it's, and I didn't intend to be on the Be Here Now network. Like, you know, here I'm five years doing that show. And the way that came about was just simply like after Indie Spirituals came out and Raghu, who I mentioned earlier from Love Server member, um, we were talking about something. I think I had another interview or a call with Ron Fest. I don't know. And, and, you know, Indie Spirituals was doing well. And I think, everything mind was in the works with sounds true. And, and he knew about that. And he's like, well, you know, why don't you do a podcast? And cause he knew like about my website and I love to interview people. And I was like, I don't know. I just, I never did one. He's like, think about it. We're starting a network. And if you know, you're interested, I think you'd be a great fit. Another one of those, like, how do I have any business like doing this? Cause like when be here now launched, it was a platform of Ramdas. Krishna Das, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Cornfield, Lama Surya Das, Raghu Marcus, and me. You know, so you have all of these like amazing, like illumined teachers and just, you know, iconic spiritual figures. And I'll never forget when they sent me like the the social media po- picture, you know, with all of our faces and Be Here Now Network. And I'm looking at all these people and then there's me. And it's like, you know, I, I don't get it. But I've learned that I don't have to get it. I just go with the flow. So it was just simply like, I don't know that there was something there and they invited me and here I am five years later, like still doing the show. Um, absolutely loving it. And um, it's, it's a, it's so humbling to be a part of that family, you know, cause like I said, Ram Das is like, that lineage is, is my root, like along again with like Ken Wilber, but those are the, two teachers and, and paths that really just uh, saved my life, you know? And I know I'm not sounding you know, non-dual right now because there is no me. I know that, but, you know, <laughs> keeping it real about the human experience, it saved ego, not ego. So it saved physical form, Chris, the, uh, the manifest uh, form of Chris's life. So. Yeah. Cool, man. That's, that's, that's really cool stuff. How it, it just all kind of happened. Can you shed light on uh, what you teach 
people as far as mental health goes? My approach is is just very much peer based. I don't have a degree. Like I said, I'm transparent. I come from this. I teach from the school of direct experience, and I make it very clear mm-hmm. that all I can offer, and I don't care if someone has a degree or not. Like really, all we have to offer when it comes to this kind of stuff is what we've been through, you know, mm-hmm. and that truth. So I make it very clear that, and that's why. I take an approach similar to Ram Dass or Eckhart. Like when I present things, I draw from different wisdom traditions, but I also draw from music and contemporary culture, pop culture as a way to, you know, try to get that in with them. So they're actually, I wouldn't say excited, but at least open to meditating and talking about mindfulness and doing different breath exercises and other healing things. So it, I take a, just a really eclectic approach to it, you know, Sometimes I'll go in intentionally not planning something for the day and just feel the room each session and go wherever it's supposed to. And I actually do that with most talks I do, you know, at Wanderlust or or wherever. Um, I just go up and whatever comes up comes out. You know, I find that to me, that's where the real truth will come from. And Mm. I always say a quick prayer before I do anything. You know, um, I just close my eyes and to, to whatever's better not better, greater than me, simply like, please help me to lay myself aside so that I'm the faucet through which your water of wisdom and grace can flow through. You know, the words change a little, but that's the sentiment. And, you know, within one or two minutes, like, I feel like, yeah, I've, I've subsided and I'm not saying I'm channeling anything, but I feel like it helps me get in the flow of whatever needs to come out in that moment and be said. And, I'll tell you, it's intimidating because I've done it in front of audiences of like 2,000 people and people are like, you're crazy, you know, like you're going to go up there and give a 20-minute talk and not prepare. And But again, it's like, what do I have to lose? You know, like right. that, this is such a gift that I have right now. Like every day is a gift. Like I don't want to die, but if I die tomorrow, like I have no right to complain, you know, because the way I lived, there are a number of times, I used to say I should have died. But I, sh- you know, I'm still here, so I shouldn't have. But I could have died. So every day is a gift, even if it's a rough day. And I, I will say, I'm not always grateful every minute of every day. Like I'm a human, but I do know, you know, and that's always there underlying. Is it's all a gift. It really is. So, and that's a big thing. I I I definitely teach is gratitude. You know, I know it's done to death, but there's a reason. It's so important. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. It really is. Even if we can just stop for a second, if we're feeling down or disappointed, yeah. if we just stop and just count your blessings, just absolutely. These I have this, I have that, I have this, yeah. I have that, yeah. and this is really cool, and that's enough. I'm, I mean, yeah, like, dude, I'm I've been experiencing chronic pain for this last year, and I know people have experienced it way worse and for way longer. So I don't want to take away from that, but. Even experiencing that, which is brutal, really terrible, I have a roof over my head. I'm sitting on a couch. I'm in a relatively safe place right now. I have a bed to sleep in. I have a bathroom that I can use, a shower. I have running water. I have food to eat. Like, what right do I have to complain? You know, like, I mean, yeah, things aren't perfect. They never will be. But there are so many people right now that don't have that. And not even in third world countries, right here in in the U.S., there are people right now just living on the streets that, you know, maybe they're literally dying. Maybe they're going through withdrawals. Maybe they're strung out. Maybe they just had a really rough, you know, hand of cards dealt to them in life. And, and, you know, they didn't catch a break and they don't have a roof over their head and they're sleeping on the street and 
don't know where their next meal is coming from. Like that's the reality of, of also what's happening in life. You know, the, the grace and the grit, as Ken Wilber would say, it's, it's two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. What is the name of your next book going to be? So, <laughs> sorry, I'm actually working on two books right now. I haven't really talked about this, so you're getting a little exclusive. Um, but so I'm co-writing two books right now. One of them is with um, a wonderful staff writer at Fangoria. And that's the one where I was talking about we're taking each chapter and using a, he also has a degree in um, psychology. And so we're looking at the psychology as well as like what we can learn for wellness with these characters chapter by chapter. <laughs> that book is called Necessary Death. And that's based off of the title of a song from a band I love, one of my friend's band, uh, End. And that, I just love that. So we're running with that. I have an Eckhart Tolle quote in the beginning next to, you know, some like uh, John Carpenter quotes, but where he talks about, you know, we need to die before we die in order to really live. So necessary death just fit. The other book I'm doing is with uh, the drummer of this band called Taking Back Sunday. Anybody familiar with like, you know, rock, indie rock, they're as big as it gets. Like they're headlining with Smashing Pumpkins and stuff when, when, co- when concerts start. Yeah, but that's the status they're at. And he's a friend that I've connected through music and he had this vision for a kid's book about drumming and the love of drumming. And so we've come together on that and we're actually working with a gentleman who used to work on Shel Silverstein's books, who's helping us just flush that out. And so that book's tentatively called, I love drums, but you know, I'm not sure what it's going to be, but I'm, I'm so excited about both. And, and again, I think that speaks to, again, staying open on our path and our process. Like, I'm writing a, a horror book which, with the intention of well-being and a kid's book at the same exact time, you right. know, and, and it's a beautiful and wonderful, diverse experience. I, I love it. Is the literary agent that you manifested many years ago still working with you on all this? Absolutely. Not on the kid's book. She's working with me on the horror book. Um, she has done a few kid's books, but she knows that this one has the potential to be really big. Man, I, I want to thank you for this conversation because it's really just reiterating to me like how blessed I am that mm-hmm. these things have happened to me in my life. And mm-hmm. um, I, I, I mean, part of me, the old self-loathing Chris, I hear him saying still mm-hmm. to this day, you don't deserve it. But thanks to meditation and practices like loving kindness, mm-hmm. I know better. You know, I can hear that voice and allow it to be there and not have to feed into it. Like Pema children will say, you know, we are the sky. Everything else is just the weather passing by. So trying to keep that sky vibe going on. Yeah. And you, and you have the, the burden of the back injury right now. <laughs> and that, that can, that can throw some clouds in front of the sun real fast. It, but it is what it is. I have to still live. And, you know, there's no part of me, honestly, I had already done one interview today and then had an hour call with uh, somebody about something else and a very busy work day and my back's hurting, tired. And a part of me was like, you should reschedule. And then the other part's like, no way, dude, you've already done it twice. You can't do it again. And uh, I'm so glad that I didn't, you know, because I feel honestly so much better than I did like coming into this call. I was super tired Mm -hmm. and, you know, just feeling rough but i'll tell you my back hasn't hurt the whole time we've talked i feel calmer like thank you kevin this is uh, i'm really grateful it's it it's an inner peace podcast <laughs> <laughs> it works it works <laughs> it, it does i hope it does for all the listeners yeah so as we wrap this puppy up 
if somebody asked you, Chris, besides your books, what would be one book that you recommend for someone to read? Mm. What would it be? Would you go with Be Here Now? It's a toss-up. Conversations um, with God? Here's the two I would go with, and they're two <laughs> complete opposites. I would go with either Be Here Now, though you've got to be in the right, like, you've got to be in the right place to receive that book. You know, like, it's accessible to anyone to read, but you got to be ripe for it to connect. I would either go with that, or I would go with Charles Bukowski's The Last Night of the Earth poems. Wow. Not considered a spiritual book whatsoever, but some of the most spiritual things I've ever read in my life are in that book and mm. his other writings. But again, because I'm open to that experience of spirituality from not just traditionally spiritual things. So it's a toss up. Be here now if the person's ripe or uh, Last Night of the Earth Poems by Bukowski. Mm. Right on. Chris, I am going to have to invite you back on at a later date Anytime. because there's a lot more that I want to have conversations about. I think this episode was, you know, more about your path. But a lot of times I like to just have conversations some and you are familiar with the mystical side and yeah, that's something that I like to talk about. <laughs> and this is uh been a really great experience it's kind of a little little spark a little flame going on in there so right. um i'm gonna have to dig maybe some be here out be here now out or something later today <laughs> yeah. or go listen to oh my gosh i just had michael cremo on you might like that one dr robert oh, no. morris oh okay there's 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 I, I got some episodes that that'll you know might take you know might get you high I dig that, man. I'll have to check them out. I dig it for sure. Get you high just off audio. Well, like I said, man, within 10 seconds of coming on here, you calmed me down right away. So it's it's real. The podcast works. I'm a fan, Kevin. I appreciate it. <laughs> right on, man. Thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. And thank you for your time. Hmm. A reminder to all the listeners, if you're looking to take your meditation practice to the next level, be sure to download or stream my new meditation album, which is available on Spotify, Apple, and other streaming platforms. And let me know how you like it. Contact me on social media or email me through the website. If you're looking for all my work, be sure to log on to drreese.com. That's doctor spelled out. And I'll talk to you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese. If this episode opened your heart, feel free to share on social media and tell your loved ones. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, may peace be with you.